Welcome to today's edition of Make Her Space, a podcast about women who dare. Hear inspiring interviews with South Coast entrepreneurs and artisans who've carved out their own spaces and share the challenges and rewards of their often unexpected journeys. Brought to you by The Standard Times and SouthCoastToday.com. And now, here's your host, Barbara Lomonaco. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Make Her Space, a podcast about women who dared. I'm your host, Barbara Lamonico, and I'm delighted to be here with my friend, Carmen Foy. Carmen is a chef and owner of Sprout and Lentil. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. How are you today? I am great. I'm so excited you're here. Thank um, you. Carmen and I, just before we started our podcast, we're talking about our pets. We are both <laughs> big animal lovers, right. and the conversations between animal lovers just go all over the place. They so, really do, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, so today, I am—I really am thrilled that you're going to be a guest today. I met you when you had already, of course, started with Sprout and Lentil. So tell us sure. a little bit about Sprout and Lentil, what you do on a daily basis, the kind of range of what you make. Okay. Well, it's funny you you mentioned animals before talking about Sprout and Lentil because that was kind of the reasoning why Sprout and Lentil emerged was because of animal rescue. So we we can go back to that. But what what do I do on a daily basis? It's menu planning. Um, you know what kind of plant based foods can we create that fill people that live a plant based diet, but also people that don't live a plant based diet. What can they eat to remind them of the food that they're used to on a daily basis? So mm-hmm. we just we're creating new menus, um, and we're producing food for the farmers markets, for festivals, for vegan markets. Also, we're going to be doing the jazz festival in Newport this summer, and also some other music festivals. So, so it's funny um, when people think about a vegan diet. Mm. Here's what comes to mind, and I'm a pescatarian, <laughs> right. and I've, so I've had a small sort of taste of this stereotyping right people ask me well what can you eat as if you know there's really nothing in the world to right. eat but also when we think of veganism we think of deprivation right someone who doesn't have a sense of humor <laughs> wearing your Birkenstocks I think I might have Birkenstocks I've on. never um, worn a pair yeah, of Birkenstocks <laughs> in my life and I think I have a sense of humor but you're right, right. I think that um, and that's kind of the one of the missions of Sprout and Lentil is sort of we need to dispel those myths of what plant-based or veganism is. Veganism is, let's think about all the foods we can eat. Not the foods that we can't, but what can we eat? Everything. An apple. I mean, an apple is considered a vegan food. So apples, legumes, grains, all of these things are things that we can eat. So what do we do as a chef? What I love about being a vegan chef is it's recreating. You're becoming creative again. You're not focusing on that piece of protein in the center of the plate. You're not focusing on the chicken. You're not focusing on the beef. You're not focusing on the fish. You're focusing on everything else as the center of that plate. It's such a cultural concept, isn't it, for people who have grown up with the meat and the potatoes and the veg. And that is so American, I think, and it takes a kind of cognitive reframing because sometimes people will say, oh, I'm not gonna feel satisfied if I don't have that centerpiece. Uh, Now, I did eat um, one of your burgers. I've actually had a few (laughs) of your burgers. I had one of your burgers and it was, such an and I've had a lot of veggie burgers, right? right? The kind that I 
I buy in the frozen department. Sure. And they're pretty good. Like, they'll do. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. This was the most decadent. Right. Um, messy, dripping, eat it with both of your hands. Mm. It was on this amazing pretzel bun, which I'm still thinking about that pretzel bun. The bun is important. Yeah. And it was a jackfruit burger. Right. So I had no idea what a jackfruit was. All I know is that this was really, uh, it's been a long time since I ate like a big burger, but it really felt like that. And it was completely filling, but also it was such a great experience. I wasn't picking at little strands of greens with a fork and I love greens, but it was a a whole like lumberjack experience. It's, it's, (laughs) It's memories. So you want to create, if you're a vegan or if you're eating a plant-based diet, you want to have all of the experiences that you had when you ate a big burger. So it is messy. It should be filling. It should be pleasurable. So you find that umami, right? You find all of those things that um, that someone wants to, to bite into. So the jackfruit is great because jackfruit is not widely used, but it's 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 indigenous of, of Indonesia. It's used in India. It's used in a lot of different cultures as a meat Placer. And it's the largest fruit that grows on trees. It, it gets up to 23 pounds. And before it be- matures and before it becomes um, sweet, we use it as a savory, as a savory dish. So you can use jackfruit in, you know, sandwiches, in tacos, in so many different things. So that's going back to being like sort of creative with food again, is recreating all of these things in plant form. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I find it, it it's interesting for me. And so tell me a little bit about your background as a chef. I'm, I know that um, your care for animals led you down the path of veganism. Correct. But prior to that, what was your background as a, as a chef? And I'm interested in what tools you already had in your kit that made moving to being a vegan chef easy and then what the challenges were. Right. So I was a yacht chef. So I worked on yachts for many years. I was at sea. I was in the Caribbean all over the world. So primarily I was a get in a galley on a boat. Um, so that was challenging in itself, the work in small places, work in small spaces, working with the produce that's that's there in the Caribbean or wherever you are. Um, so it gave me a lot of experience in, A, you know, working in with different cultures, with different products, and then how to use them for my meal preparation. So that was a lot of fun traveling. But you want to get back on land. Once you're a yacht chef for <laughs> seven, eight years, you really just want to get you know your feet on, on steady ground. So I ended up in South Florida when I left um, when I left yachting. And were you a traditional chef? I was chef a traditional in chef. That I cooked everything. You know, I had to do a lot of asking for forgiveness to the animals when I <laughs> when I stopped. But yeah, I was. A traditional chef I cooked everything and I and I had to cook on yachts you have to cook for so many different types of people I would have folks on board that were diabetic celiacs all these different things so I needed to make sure that I was prepared for all those different types of people that would come on board and my galley was the size of this room it was it was very small so that was the that was a challenge so when I ended up in South Florida I said you know I really want to just start teaching I wanted to start teaching, and I wanted to get more involved in different areas. So I created a food safety program for Yacht Crew, and it was actually the first food safety program that was ever created for yacht chefs and for um, the stewardesses. What I noticed on board boats is that a lot of, there was not a lot of training in, to, in terms of food safety. So I created that. I did that for several years, but I got extremely bored with teaching that course on food safety. And then I got very involved with um, 
animal rescue. One of the things I noticed in South Florida was that there was a lot of neglect. Um, people were, you know, disposing of their animals, just dropping them off in the Everglades. So we, I started seeing that, you know, dogs and cats. So I started with that, and then I started the ducks and bunnies and goats and all of these different animals. And then it, it connected for me. How would I c- continue to cook these? animals, not the cats and the dogs, but the, the, the bunnies and the, and, the, and the ducks. So all of a sudden, the connection with the soul of the animal and my, and my connection with the animal was I couldn't do this anymore. I couldn't cook it anymore. So it was a slow transition. Probably cheese and eggs was the last thing I gave up because that's the hardest thing because we're very addicted to those, those foods. Um, but it was a transition that when it took, it became a very strict veganism. I don't wear leather, I don't eat honey, um, and I thought, well, now I have to feed my people. Now I have to make food that tastes really good, that's pleasurable, full of umami for people that are vegan. And so it probably meant not going back to a yacht because it would be unusual to have a whole crew of vegan guests or certainly not the norm. Um, It's interesting. One of the things I've learned in doing this podcast is while it is stories about women's businesses and what they make, it is equally stories of what they believe. And I think that one of the things we really look for in our lives is where meaning and vocation come together, Mm -hmm. where our personal values, our political values, um, our way of being in the world intersects with our jobs. And it really sounds like the turn to veganism was a change in your profession, but it was really driven by your values. And I think that maybe that's when our work becomes the most meaningful, the most enjoyable, and right. something that we get up in the morning and we're excited to do because it aligns with who we are fundamentally. I think, the, and that's 100% correct, I think it's when you have a passion, then you have to find what's the platform for that passion. And for me, it was my kitchen the farmer's markets. The farmer's market is not just selling food. It's an opportunity to talk to people about what we what we do. So you're at the Equidnik Growers Market. Correct. We're at the Equidnik Growers Market. And when are you there, just so everyone can find we you? We are there on Wednesdays, every Wednesday from 2, from two to 6 on Memorial Boulevard, mm-hmm. right in, in Newport. And then on Saturdays, we're at the um, Newport Vineyard from 9 a.m. to 12.30. So we're always there present selling our food. We sell amazing soups. We sell all of our burgers and sandwiches. And we sometimes, like this week, we're going to have a ceviche made with hearts of palm. So I try to create a salad or something new. So it, it, it brings up conversations again. So how did you get into the growers market? And um, you were talking about kind of the um, the ways that that's a teaching platform in some ways, because as you're serving people or explaining the food, you're talking um, about plant-based diets and about how you make things and all of that. So tell me a little bit about how you got started and what attracted you to selling in that venue. Well, we needed to find out if there was going to be a demand. So before we wanted to create a kitchen or we wanted to create a space, we had to see, is there a demand for this product? Are people interested in this? Are people going to eat it? You know, that that type of stuff. So the, the farmer's market is such a broad range of people that from all walks of life, um, that we were given an opportunity to test it out, test, test our products, test our recipes. And what the overwhelming response was, we love it, 
we love this concept. We want you to open something. We want you to have a store. I mean, every week it was, when are you opening up a brick and mortar? So we listened. We for After a year of hearing that and, and getting involved in more festivals, the Jazz Festival in Newport. Also, we're going to do live, um, live Local, which is another festival. We, d- we discovered that this is necessary, there is a need, and that the farmer's market was a great way to test that out. The line of people when I saw you there last <laughs> yeah. was ridiculous. And I'm t- I cannot imagine those people are all vegan. No. But, uh, and that really is a testament. I mean, and girl, I waited in line for you. Uh, it <laughs> and- really is amazing to see that kind of success in such a short period of time. And we're very grateful. I mean, I, I just... I want to say that because I, I feel, first of all, very grateful to do this work. And I'm also very grateful that my customers are so supportive. Every week they come with their, you know, with, they get their soups and they get their sandwiches. They get their, their burgers for the week. And they, they bring little flowers or they bring something to me. And so it becomes a community. You're, we're growing a community. We're growing relationships with people. It's not just, well, I guess food does create that. Um, but it's just a wonderful wonderful experience and I I just love every single minute I, I literally say this is the happiest time of my week is when I'm standing at my stand and selling my food amazing and what about relationships with other makers I mean we've kind of come together through mutual friends who yes. are photographers and artists and all of that um, what has that done for you with Sprout and Lentil and growing Sprout and Lentil and in what ways have you been part of that community of collaboration I think collaboration is important with all different makers, but specifically women, we really need to support each other, lift each other up, um, not feel competitive. It's not, you know, we shouldn't be fighting for space. We should be in the same space and, and happy to be working together. Yeah. So I think one of the things I've noticed is that there's so many women businesses right now. Right. There's such an... I don't know what's going on, but it's amazing. Every time I turn around, there's another business, and it's a woman-owned business. Yeah. So I'm. that's just great to see. And it's amazing to me how often another woman who has a startup will say, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. She would love to hear about your products. Right. Or um, there's a great platform for learning about marketing your business over here take a look right. that we always seem to be helping each other and that is is that new I will <laughs> well I'll tell you and I really do think that because women haven't always had the same opportunities that men have had we need to use our informal networks right. to get ahead and promote ourselves and sometimes we don't promote ourselves in the way that we should we feel guilty about you know blowing our own horns or whatever. And so these networks, I really see it as um, the roots of a system Mm -hmm. that is just proliferating and women helping each other and championing each other's work. I mean, um, I'm always talking about my friends who are making wonderful things and telling my friends to go and support them. And it's easy because they're great products. Um, I guess that leads me into talking about former careers that you've had. And the subtitle (laughs) of this podcast is Women Who Dared. And while we'd love to talk about how exciting it is to start your own business, it's also a little terrifying because we worry about the money. We worry about it's just me, right? Mm. This is my show and sink or swim. So 
Uh, you, I know, left a more corporate life at one yes. point. Can you talk about that a little bit? I, I sure can. Well, first is jump and the net will show up. So a lot of times you just have to have faith. You have to believe that um, the universe will support that choice. And when you make the choice that is right for you, all of a sudden your path is opened up. There's no barriers anymore. Everything just opens up opportunities show up that you can't even imagine and you're like wow this is what it's supposed to feel like because when you're not doing something that is for you there's so many barriers there's so many roadblocks there's so many challenges so I think that is that is really important to to learn Um, I came from a very corporate background I worked for pharmaceutical companies I worked for oil businesses I worked for very large corporations that have different ways of doing business, but they gave me tools that I have now that I've been able to unpack and say, wow, I, I learned how to be a great salesperson mm-hmm. from that particular company, or I learned how to be very organized from that company. So all of those different jobs that I had um, taught me. Yeah, how to do this particular career. So I think what we do is we learn all of these things and then all of a sudden we're able to create the final masterpiece of what it is you're supposed to be doing. That's amazing. It really is, uh, I think, in revisiting that concept of being aligned with your values, who you are as a person, and your life's work dovetailing with that, that things open up and opportunities come and the people in your path. It's shocking the way that you meet people who inspire you and lift you up and you're not swimming against the tide uh, so much. You can't do it alone. Yeah. Um, I have a great husband who is helping me and we work together and we... You know, he's he's a wonderful person and my friends and like just being here today and being able to talk about this yeah. and you have a wonderful business. Um, so I think we're all working together and hopefully we're on the right path. So tell me what other chefs, I know that you were in the more traditional chef space at one point. How have you kind of navigated becoming a vegan chef and you certainly have professional credibility because you're doing very sophisticated food, but I know that the chef community has particular feelings about those who do vegan work. What's that been like for you? I don't navigate it. I don't listen. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. what what Because I think... I still watch programs about traditional chefs. Like I just watched a, a great documentary on a, um, a sushi chef, uh, Chef Jiro. I just saw that. Amazing. It's called... Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Yeah. Beautiful I mean, 40 documentary. years of, de- I mean, he has his rice vendors that only sell to him. He has this, the tuna, ve- like all of those things. So I think as chefs, we have to appreciate the art of what it is of what we do because mm-hmm. it is an art. Yeah. You're using your hands to create something. You're creating th- an art that actually is being ingested by people. So it's, it's, I think we have to respect each other's choices. We have to respect the way we do things. And I think it's funny. I, I was talking to a chef the other day and he says, you know, you have to be far more creative to be a vegan chef because we're not falling on our traditional 
heavy French sauces or our protein in the middle of the plate. We're creating something new. Yeah, absolutely. So for the person in the street who says, you know, I kind of want to eat a plant-based diet, but oh, I don't want to give up X, Y, and Z. What would be some ways that they could start that are simple for someone who might not be a great cook, might not have a lot of time, maybe managing multiple roles and all of that. What would be a place to start? Find a mentor, find somebody that's doing it and find out how to do it right. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't also YouTube (laughs) is a a great place to go to learn about, um, you know, how to create meals and, and follow, you know, some great chefs on, on Instagram. There's so many recipes. There's so much creation out there. But find somebody that's already doing it and, and get some advice and find out that it's not difficult. It's not extreme cooking. It's just cooking with vegetables. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell me what's next for Sprout and Lentil. I know that we can find you at the Growers Markets. You can, yep. And, and the different festivals that we have. Oh, and summer. festivals as We're well. So excited. Absolutely. And you're going to be there too, right? You're at the Jazz yes, Festival. Yes, I will be at Jazz Fest. I'm a little terrified, 30,000 people, <laughs> but it's okay. We're going to do it. I know you're going to be around the corner. I will be. And so I'll be coming, running over there for several burgers, <laughs> for sure. Um, no doubt about it. So what do you envision for the future for Sprout and Lentil? What would you love to become as you're in this process of getting bigger and bigger? Well, we're in the process right now of building our new space. So we're really excited. Yes. And we're doing it ourselves in the sense that um, with our hands, you know, hanging our own, our own FRP, which is fiberglass for the walls and doing all of these things ourselves and creating a vegan kitchen space. Uh, I want it to become a place where makers that are plant-based can come and use our facilities in oh, the future. Oh, great. So continuing the spirit of collaboration. Of collaboration. People that can't find a kitchen um, where they want to test out their new recipes and they don't want to go to a traditional kitchen because there's dairy or there's other things there. So we want to support sort of plant-based makers and just keep growing in this space of, of plant-based cooking and, and also develop products that eventually will end up in stores. So maybe our burgers will be ending up in packaging in different stores, or even restaurants will be able to to use them. So we want to grow the brand. We want to grow um, what we're doing in our space, but also expand outside of, of Newport, you know, New England area. And so would people be able to come and pick their food up here? They're sort of the Pre, pre-made burgers that they could pick up? Yes, but because the demand is asked for it. They yeah. need to pick up their stuff midweek. They can't wait um, for a Saturday. So we're going to have a small retail space. So the, the big space is the kitchen. Mm-hmm. The little space is the retail. And it's going to be limited hours. We're going to say that from this time to this time, you can pick up your products. And I'm going to curate vegan offerings. So I'm going to bring in vegan cheeses, vegan meats, but very specific and supporting um, vegan makers. Do you think you'd ever do cooking classes there so oh, people yeah. could learn some of the tips and tricks? And that's kind of what you were asking, like what is what are the, some of the challenges? Well, we want to help with those challenges. So we're going to have classes, we're going to teach people how to prep for the week, because one of the biggest challenges I think people have is, oh gosh, how am I going to prep all of these things, or what do I do? You could take five different things, prep them, and make 16 different meals. So it's teaching people how to do that. Oh, how exciting. When will fun. that be opening? Well, um, we were hoping for mid-July. I think it's going to be right around mid-July. 
That's yeah. a brisk timeline. I know. I know. We're pushing hard. Wow. That's so <laughs> incredibly um, exciting. So Thank I you. guess I'll also ask you about the obstacles, um, because it sounds like you have this crazy momentum with Sprout and Lentil. Mm-hmm. You're in a network of great people providing support, receiving support. You have that ridiculous line of people in demand. I know. Yay. That Mexican soup, by the way. <laughs> Now, I Our think, soups are very good. I like to think I make my own great Mexican soup, but um, yours was better. And I had it while Aww. I had a cold, I know, it and help. it was incredible. It was, ab- and it tasted. Um, it had so much depth. I think a soup is can be challenging, right, to get that depth of um, a flavor. But at any rate, despite you know you have all this great momentum, for many women who are thinking about making this leap to have their own company. Um, what lessons, What if you were to tell somebody, let me give you this one piece of advice <laughs> as you make the leap, because right. it does sound that you know making the leap means you can live in alignment with your values and you can have your autonomy and all of that. What if you learned that you would pass on? Don't listen to the voices in your head that tell you you can't do it. That's because amazing. those are not the right voices to listen to. So... Put those aside. As soon as you start hearing them and they're saying, oh, you're going to fail. This is crazy. What are you doing? Just say, mm, I don't have time for you right now. I'm going to go do that. So it's, it's learning how to not listen to that. That is so incredibly inspiring. And I think that we do second guess ourselves. And it's so easy to come from a position of fear because people want us to fit the mold of, you should be doing this nine to five and look how many small businesses fail. You hear all of that, oh, yeah. right? Especially food. Absolutely. Was, you know how many restaurants, st- well, we're not going to be a restaurant, but how many food businesses close in the first year? You know what? But how many succeed? Exactly. So we have to look at the successes of what happens, not always what the failures are. So don't listen to the voices. Listen to yourself. Be strong and fill yourself with love and know that if you're passion is leading you down this road, then it can't go wrong. That's amazing. Carmen, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. I'm just so delighted that you came to share your story with us. And remember uh, that you can find Carmen with Sprout and Lentil at various pop-up markets, but also at the Equipment Growers Market on Wednesdays and And Saturdays. Saturdays. Great. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Take care. That's this week's episode of Make Her Space. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.